You're listening to Inside Tulsa Sports, your home for inside info, news, and discussions of Golden Hurricane Athletics. Join us at InsideTulsaSports.com. Welcome back to the Inside Tulsa Sports Podcast. I am Chris Harmon, publisher and managing editor of Inside Tulsa Sports on the Rivals Network and Yahoo Sports. We're recording this episode on Tuesday, September 13th, 2022. As you might be able to tell, I am under the weather this week. I've been battling the head and chest stuff that a lot of folks around here have been battling, so this may be a a bit of a shorter episode, but I'm going to start off with a brief recruiting update, which I I try to do uh, on every episode, and uh, then we'll jump into my conversation with TU sideline reporter Jeremy Poplin. We're going to break down the good and bad from Tulsa's win over Northern Illinois, and we'll also discuss the expansion of the college football playoff to 12 teams. After that, I'll provide a little info on uh, Tulsa's next opponent, Jacksonville State. So on the recruiting front, TU Basketball is hosting 2023 Jaden J.T. Toppin of Faith Family Academy in Dallas uh, for an official visit this week. Um, I'm expecting him to be here kind of Tuesday to Thursday. Uh, He's a 6'8 big man. I saw him at uh, Eric Conkle's camp in June, and uh, he was impressive there and earned a, a TU offer shortly after that. He also has offers from Arizona State, New Mexico, George Washington, Akron, and others. And TU will likely have another big man uh, visit campus in October, so stay tuned for for that. We're posting information on on visits and and other recruiting tidbits in Hurricane Alley over at uh, Inside Tulsa Sports. TU football is still sitting at 10 uh, verbal commitments, which they have been for a while. And several of those uh, recruits are playing really well early in their senior season. One of them is Devin Robinson uh, from right here in Tulsa over at Union. He had a great uh, night in a win over um, Jinx. Union beat Jinx 38-3. to And he had two interceptions, one which was a pick six. And he also had five tackles and blocked a field goal. Uh, so he's playing very well, and you can find more uh, info on these players and all of Tulsa's commitments over at Inside Tulsa Sports. We'll be providing updates on each recruit as their season progresses. So now let's uh, get into my conversation with uh, Jeremy Poplin. Check this out. Glad to have uh, TU football sideline reporter Jeremy Poplin joining me again uh, to discuss last week's game. Thanks for coming on. How are you doing, Jeremy? Good, man. It's uh, you know it's another week. It, it's weird because I've uh, in all my years of radio, it seems like I've waited until we've got like week five or six of the college season, and mm-hmm. then I typically say something on the air like. Um, well, you know, it's halfway over or it's, you know, it's almost over. You start counting down. I already feel that way. And we're only coming up in week three, right? right? Like yeah. I, it's, it's incredible how quickly, uh, how long we wait and then how quickly we get to games like week three. And then 
especially when they release kickoff times, like for the September 24th game with Ole Miss that's in the afternoon on the SEC network. It's like, yeah, we spent, we sit here and we wait all this time and then suddenly uh, it's here and it's over with before you know it. So I just try to take it as, as slow as, as I possibly can, but I just don't know in today's society, if you can even slow things down anymore, my man, it's, it's just, it's just rough, but um, I guess it beats working for a living. Right. (laughs) Well, um, so it, it's, it was another kind of typical Tulsa game as it it has (laughs) been for, for, for a few years now. Um, a, A tight one, like, like the, the first game, TU had complete control um, in, in the second half and then some, you know, what, however you want to call it, I'll, I'll say catastrophic, untimely mistakes let the opponent back in. And, and this time, thankfully, TU makes some clutch plays at the end to pull out a victory. But up 24-7 to 7 at halftime, and, I mean, really at that point, to me, it just, it I felt like, Tulsa was dominating and uh, Northern Illinois only scoring drive was uh, due to that short field after the interception of, of Davis Brin where he was hit while throwing. And other than that, it seemed like the TU defense was bottling the Huskies up and uh, you know, North Northern Illinois obviously made some halftime adjustments and took that opening possession of the second half straight down the field for a score. But at that point, even with that, I thought, okay, well, Tulsa's going to get the ball back and they're going to get some points and, you know, this is going to go down the path that's been going and they're going to pick up a big win. How, how did you feel at that point? Yeah, I mean, I at, at halftime, um, I don't know, I go through weird phases. There's a part of me that felt, like like you said, they were in complete control of that and that Northern Illinois didn't have anything for them. Uh, but then you've got that other voice that's in the back of your head, like I had at Wyoming, yeah, uh, like I've had at many other games in the past where this team had a 10-point lead at Wyoming, and I had that same kind of feeling like they finally started to take control of this game. Uh, and I think in both of those games now, they've been they've been one or two plays away um, on the next drive, even with 10-point leads, uh, that I think would be the difference where we wouldn't have to have these games where you feel like you're just hanging on with, yeah. uh, you know, like hanging off the edge of a cliff. Um, the one at Wyoming that, I, I, you know, they make that field goal to push it back to a 10-point lead, um, the one that was missed. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a completely different game, and they probably ultimately win that game if it's that field goal. So at halftime, like, you, you're trying to fight it. At least I am mentally. They've got control, but knowing how things have gone in the past, um, yeah, you just you've, – you've got – like it's like the little angel and devil from the, from the cartoon yeah. setting on your shoulder. Uh, one's playing the harp, and the other one's got the – at the poker that's going to poke you in the backside. Um, I, it's funny how when you're there in the middle, you can feel the momentum just completely shift. Right. And they came down at a great drive and yes, the onside kick um, caught everyone off guard. And at that moment, I think I even had a report on the air that said, just had a feeling of, of a stunned nature that was down here yes 
and and I I worry at times like that um, in the immediacy. Now, in the long term, I always typically feel pretty good because that is say what you want. They do have a blue collar mentality that they are going to keep grinding even towards the end of the game. But they do have these stretches of five, sometimes seven, eight, nine, ten minutes within a quarter where they have a very tough time getting back any element of momentum. And it takes a couple of big plays. So, uh, yeah, after the onside kick, I almost had this, here we go again. This is, I, I just had a mental image of the scoreboard where I could just see Northern Illinois not necessarily taking the lead, but I just had this vision of like a three-point lead for some reason, like late in the game from Northern Illinois. Um, and I, I, I'll still say to this day, at that point, Tulsa gets the ball back, and they hadn't had many opportunities uh, at all. Momentum was completely gone. And the last thing that that defense needed after after they had given up those points early on was the offense to go a quick three and out. And the next thing you look up, Chris, and it's – I think it's third and 14. And you're like, they, in a way, have to convert here or this could completely unravel. Yeah. And they did. Malachi had a, a Malachi got open. Bryn had a, had a good completion. They ultimately, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think they scored on that drive. But that uh, that enough to just extend that drive in that moment to me was, in a weird way, a response. They they needed it. And again, they they came away with no points. But if it wasn't for that moment, you kick the ball immediately back to them right there. And I think that that had. Uh, that could have been a devastating moment in that game. So I, at that big third down conversion there to Malachi to even keep them on the field for an extended period of time was kind of the answer that they needed in a moment like that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it certainly gave uh, the defense a break when they really needed it because, you know, after giving up that initial score and then the onside kick, and, the, and it was weird for me because I actually felt like and it may have been when they scored in the first half, I had this in the back of my mind. I was like, are they going to do an onside kick? And I just, for some reason, had that thought in my head. And then when they did it there in the third quarter, and yeah, it was like deer in headlights for Tulsa. And and so, uh, yeah, it just looked like everybody was shocked. And so then... Northern Illinois pounces on the ball. They use the short field to go down and score another touchdown. Then it's 24-21. And then the drive you're talking about where, yeah, that big third down conversion, it ended up making an 11-play drive. Yes. And they miss a field goal. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But I, but I don't want that to be like the negative that right. missed a field goal. Right. Because I, 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 I'm telling you – the overall feel from everyone on the sidelines, it gave them that moment to clear their head out of the fog. Yeah. And they still, they still had some mistakes that happened Sure, because so they, I, I mean, this is how quickly that it happened. They, after the first touchdown before the onside kick, they were coming over to the sidelines and dude, they didn't even have time to work it out on the whiteboard right of actually what they were still going through the process right they're on the headset upstairs they're down trying to work it out and the thing that i love about what they do from a staff is you have a guy like k ray 
who's played a lot for them, that is a vocal team leader, but also I I think he's kind of a mini coach on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. So they get everyone's input, right? They're going to they're they're putting on the headset for everyone, getting each player's input and going through and trying to work it out to really dial it in. They didn't even have a chance to finish that, okay, when the onside kick happened. So it's almost like, you know, they got, you know, defense was called was called. And everyone, they just have to throw the whiteboard down and get up and go back out there. That's how quickly that happened. That's why that 11-play drive that you're referencing uh, for them, uh, they they didn't they needed more time. Yeah. So yes, you come up empty and you hate that to happen, but uh, 11 plays matters. Yeah, and 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 then when they go back on the field, I mean, they were the the defense was playing pretty well. I mean. It, Northern Illinois took they got the ball on their 22-yard line where the field goal was missed and they get two penalties in a row and then it's like first and 20 something and uh I think it was Goodlow broke through and and pressured the quarterback so he had to throw kind of a little screen yep. and, and they stopped the guy at the 1-yard line and it's going to be like second and 30 and then they get the the taunting penalty which was a, another killer because then that gives Northern Illinois a first and 10, digs them out of that hole to the 16-yard line, and they end up going down and scoring and taking the lead. And, yeah. you know, yeah, you that think was, if that uh, penalty doesn't happen, they probably, you would think, on second and 30 there, they probably stop them and get the ball back. You, you know, that, that at least the percentages would – <laughs> percentages are in your favor on that yeah. and i i asked um ty on after that uh after the game because he was in our post-game interview yeah uh, i asked him about that moment and, and i don't typically do that um you know mistakes like that yes of course you're going to ask keelan about you know uh, a muff pun right i mean you have to right in a moment like that i typically shy away from unless it's um over the top uh, I just, you know, I, I'm not trying to highlight uh, any type of negativity, sure. especially when it comes to like a personal foul. Um, ultimately, my job is to I'm I'm to uphold the university, right? I'm there to yes report on things, but I, you know, we're we're still the home team broadcast. Yeah, so. absolutely. But but knowing and listening to the conversations that he had coming off the field after that personal foul, one, he didn't touch him at all. Yeah, uh, and two. What, from what how he was describing it and what he said he said yeah we were jawing back and forth at each other but he said that he never said anything that was um i don't know if i can use the term that he used but i would i would call it he nothing that was over the top right. it seemed like it was a very sensitive call in that moment yeah kind of like one of those tone setting like okay this is maybe going a direction that we don't want it to go. But, I mean, you still got to take responsibility and not put yourself in a situation like that. And he did after the game. He was incredibly apologetic for it. Yeah. Uh, You know, made sure that it wouldn't happen again. And um, hopefully something like that doesn't happen. So, yeah, that's a a rough one for sure. Uh, And it's – I don't think they had as many mistakes week two as they did week one, but – uh, as every coach tells you, there's still a lot to clean up, right? Uh, that night, n- no one is walking out of there feeling like we're exactly where we need or where we want to be, and that's that's one of those. You know, the the, the Stokes fumbles another one. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, 
for Keelan, um, he he was talking about like playmakers, like we're we're going to make mistakes. Um, you go out there and try to do things, and that you're going to have instances like that that happen. And he he fully admitted, like, yeah, I make mistakes, but I got to keep I got to keep moving on. Um, echo that in the post game with us, and you hate that because that's one of the guys that has been so dynamic for you in the early stages. Um, but, uh, unfortunately that gets carried over to kind of the special teams thing. Correct. Yeah. Um, that, that they have. And if they, you know, just, if, if you can start to limit just one more of those every game, by the time you say, maybe get through this one and, and get into Ole Miss. And I, I mean, look, I, we're all adults here. I think we all understand that this is majority about conference play. Um, then I think if you feel like you're in a better place from a mistake standpoint, by the time you get into conference play, you could be that much better because this conference is a grinder. Yeah. And it, and it's just unfortunate that these mistakes in these first couple of games, I mean, the, the, the ones that are glaring, I mean, they're really um, harmful, uh, you know, I mean, they, yeah. they, they yeah. they've led to, you know, yeah. points by the other team or no points for you on, on, you know, whatever it is that, that really make a big difference in the game. And, you know, as coaches say, well, there's a lot of plays in a game and, and for sure, but you know, when it's, when they're really that harmful, um, and, and you know, and some of them are, are both a point swing and mo- momentum swing. And you mentioned the, you know, the muffed punt, uh, by Stokes. I mean, that's another one where they had stopped Northern Illinois and then, uh, they, they get that punt back and then go down and score on a QB sneak and take a 35, 31 lead. Um, and that's too, Chris, because, uh, out of the halftime locker room, I asked coach Montgomery about, um, their answer that they had to extend the lead, you know, you know, Tulsa's touchdown going into half. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked him how big that was, and he was like, it was massive. And and his response to me is because, you know, um, I, I I put our defense in a tough spot, you know, with that play call and the interception that Davis had. Yeah. Uh, they were short field. So credit to Northern Illinois because they did what you're supposed to, which is you're supposed to take advantage of turnovers. And Northern Illinois did that the majority of the night every time the Tulsa had – a mistake like that and yeah to go down and take the lead with 557 i think that's what was left at that point and tulsa's get the ball tulsa gets the ball back um there were a lot of i i, I think there were a lot of doubts at that point like all right how how is this when they they fought so hard and they finally got over the top did northern illinois is there no looking back for them now once they got the lead yeah and especially when they get on that next drive and to me, it looked like a bad spot. I think it was, I think it was a pass to Stokes, and and he was kind of on a comeback route, and it looked like he caught it at the Northern Illinois forty-four, and then his momentum, you know, took him back towards, you know, TU's side of the field, yeah. but it, but they marked him almost at the forty-five, and it was fourth and one where if they marked it where he actually caught the ball, it would have been a first down. Um, and then they yeah, ran I, with... I've, 
I remember going and walking um, right where the sticks were and where I felt that he had it. And yeah. I, I think it would have been, I still think it would have been razor thin yeah. if they had marked it where he was. Um, and who knows what happens in a moment like that with the chains or, sure. or anything else. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, it, it could have been, yes, a little, a little closer than what it was. Yeah. But then, you know, that, Northern Illinois stuffed the run on that next play and um, gets the ball back. And, but, you know, again, and, and I've kind of focused on some of these mistakes and that's not to, to, you know, har- harp on them or, or the guys that made it because those same guys came back and made huge plays uh, to, to win the game. And, um, you know, you have, uh, Stokes coming up with that huge catch at the one yard line, fighting off pass interference. Uh, and then, um, you know, them getting in the end zone, Steven Anderson getting in, uh, on the run and, and, uh, and then Tyon Davis making that huge juggling interception, f- falling backwards on top of someone to seal the game. And, uh, well, let's go, let's go back to the fourth down play yeah. from NIU. I, I don't know. Why. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was completely, like, I don't want to say dumbfounded. Um, And I'm typically more of an aggressive, like, in my mind, like an aggressive play caller. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I'm, it's funny, like, they say the older that you get, you know, you're supposed to feel like that you're a little bit more conservative in your approach sometimes with play calling. And I I feel like I'm the opposite. Like, I'm, I'm becoming, I'm not quite the, the, the coach that doesn't want to punt, but um, I, I kind of like it when teams roll the dice a little bit on fourth and four, because statistically a lot of the times it's either a coin flip or it's not that much of a, of a gamble, but fourth and four, right at the Tulsa 48. And you've got at that point, there's what about a minute that's left in the game or just a little over a minute. You've got a chance if you play it properly to uh, kick that ball away, and if you can pin them inside the 10, you're basically telling a team that doesn't have any timeouts left that they've got to go 90-plus into the wind and score. And I don't understand that call from their coach, Hammock, at, at, at all. Yeah, and, I, I and, sco- and score a touchdown. I mean, a field yeah, goal would and, have done him no good. Would have done him no good. And I – I yeah, I think it caught everyone off guard, man. I I'm a firm believer in that, and I know that that Coach Montgomery in post game didn't really want to let on to that as much, but he did say, yeah, I was a little bit surprised that they would try that. Um, and it was there, and to Tulsa's you know Tulsa's good fortune, uh, he dropped it. Yeah. And uh, but even before we like the drop to me is is the story, but. It's it's the plays even before that 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 were the real story because um, Tulsa's defense did an incredible job to even get them to that fourth and four yeah. in that moment and then the roll of the dice ended up working their way and then hey you got to go make a play right you got to go make a play and there is there is no one on that team other than you think of in that moment that you trust more than anyone else and in, in Keel than Keelan even if he's had a few fumble problems. For sure. uh, but you, but you know that kid as well as anyone is is going to try ten times as hard to make up for that mistake, and that was uh, 
a hell of a catch that he had yeah. at the one yard line. And it's an aggressive play call there. It's a it's a hey, let's let's go do this. We've got to make something happen. And I I will say to me that the play calling the first two weeks, the offense they feel good for a reason, right? And they should yeah. because the, the play calling has been pretty damn good through the first couple of weeks. And, and you can tell Coach Montgomery and Davis really feel comfortable with each other. For sure. And, and you know, unfortunately, the the running game hasn't taken off to this point. And I think that's a bit of a work in progress with, you know, guys that, probably weren't expecting to be the main guys running the ball. And then also this new offensive line kind of coming together with, with that, but um, certainly seemed to have some improvement there from game one to game two. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Bren was still getting, you know, some pressure and got hit on some throws and, and things like that. But man, I mean, Bren is such a gritty dude <laughs> hanging in there in the pocket and taking some hits and you can tell how well he feels though, Chris. And yeah. I, I haven't asked Davis this and I will, um, when I see him next time, but I want to ask him at the end of the year last year, I know how banged up he was, but the thing about watching Davis now is I think he's 100% healthy at his base, right? Mm -hmm. From, from the ankles up, Right. It's, it, the ankle was a big thing last year with him. Um, I just felt like at the end of the year, yeah, he was playing really well and he was playing gritty, gritty football. But I just wonder how where his comfort level was at with his base and, and his footwork uh, because of his ankle injury. But now that he doesn't have that and they've used that, uh, used the, the replay a couple of times where he hasn't been afraid to take off. Uh, you can tell just how much better he feels in his lower half now at the start of the season than he did last year. Yeah. Uh, and offensive line is going to get it worked out. I mean, you saw a, a few more uh, pieces uh, into the equation this past week. And, and from everything uh, that they've had where there have been a few issues, it's all been communication, right? As far as who, who the guard is passing off to the tackle. And that is something they're going to get worked out but they just have, they don't have enough seat time yet. Right. They, yeah. they, they just, they just don't, but those little elements there, they're, they're going to get worked. Um, Baugh and Wade do a really good job of talking with each other when they come off on the sidelines. It's it, it, that, that part will get there. And uh, I think that's the most exciting part to me every single week is just to see how far they come week to week with those guys up front. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm with you on the, the you know going through these next couple of games here, eliminating eliminating mistakes and and getting yourself right for conference play, and and really, if they can trim down these, you know, harmful, more catastrophic type mistakes, one or one or two less a game, I, I mean, yeah. they're they're really going to be doing something because. Yeah. That the offense has been potent, as you said, better play calling, and uh, the defense is is playing certainly well enough with how the offense is rolling for them to get W's in in any game, and, and so they have 
to me, a, a pretty bright, if, if you shore up a few things, uh, it could be a really good season. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Think, think of where they would be just limiting turnovers in the yeah. first and, and, and mistakes. Um, and Davis has been really good, right? I mean, that interception of the night, he got hit on yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so that's not necessarily one I, I, I 100% put on him. Uh, but yeah, just a few of those fumbles here and there. And we, you know, they, they could be off to the races um, in a, in a conference that uh, is pretty unforgiving, right. For, yeah. for, uh, for Tulsa moving forward and especially with their schedule. And one thing uh, I'll ask you about here as we wrap it up, what, what are your thoughts on um, college football expanding to the, the 12 team playoff? Uh, I was anti-expansion for so long, and then I finally came around to because I I fit I fit in that category for the longest time, Chris. That was we, I've watched some of those games and thought, all right, the top four seeds here. Some of the semifinal games have been bad, and uh, we've looked at those four teams, and there's clearly at a different level than even say like eight, nine, or 10 would be. And, mm-hmm. you know, why, why do we need to add more, more games to this? And I've completely reversed on that um, because one, this sport has been so arbitrary and their awarding of championships throughout its entire history. And it's, it's ridiculous um, the way that, that this sport is revered in this country and the fact that it's the only one that up until recently didn't even have an air quote true champion on it. Um, that it's like the only sport that hadn't figured out like, oh, you know, w- we can do this at a grander scale. Uh, I hate the fact that a team like Utah, because of a perception of a conference in the Pac-12 and it not being so good, might not necessarily have an opportunity like they would in the past because they lose an opening game on the road at Florida in September, right? Like September football is not even on the same plane as what football in late November and how you're playing is. Yeah. Uh, Teams that might be playing and might be one of the best teams in the country because they're playing because they have a loss early on now get completely jettisoned to the side and left out of the conversation. Um, I've hated it in the past from from a from even an American standpoint. And I've used this point on the air a lot too. Is um, the game itself did so much to keep teams that win twenty plus games in a row like UCF? And I know, look, I, I get it. I, I understand someone that might be listening and go, but yeah, UCF fans are annoying. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they are. But but put yourself in their shoes. You win twenty in a row. And no one cares or is giving you any credit whatsoever. The only thing they do is basically give you a gift to go to the Peach Bowl and say, you should be just happy we're letting you go to the Peach Bowl and compete against this team, pat them on their head and give them a big check and, and send them along their way. Um, it took an it took a, a, just a, a, a bizarre set of circumstances even for Cincinnati to get invited to the dance. Yeah. Now there is more, it may not be 100%, but there's more defined path for non-Power 5 than ever before. 
Uh, and that's all I think that we've ever wanted. And college football is the one sport that <laughs> for some reason wants to outsource their own product. I, I've never understood that with, with the bowl games. Like, it's almost like imagine the NFL saying, all right, um, Niners-Rams, last year's NFC Championship game, we don't feel comfortable in being able to put on what we're known for, which is a football game, so we're going to outsource this to a completely different entity. And that's what college football was doing, bowl games. So the fact that you can now get on-campus games uh, is something that I've just never understood why it wasn't incorporated more. And how big time those environments are going to be when we flip the calendar to December. Um, I, I just never understood that part of it. So you, you create more drama. You give clearly defined paths. You give teams incentive uh, in multiple ways, which is you get to play at home. You give other teams the opportunity to have a bye week to rest up a little bit more and to get more prep time uh, for whoever you're going to play. Um, and it draws the attention from more of a regional perspective, which college football has kind of turned into, into more of a, of a national um, outlook than more regionalized. I, I just think it's a win-win for everyone because I heard Joel Klatt say this, and I think he's dead on. He said this has the ability to make college football resemble more of what we had from 1980 up until about 2004 and five, where we had virtually every section of the country represented with some form of, some form of national champion and multiple conferences. Mm. Okay. You know, since about 05 to where we're at now, um, the regional part of this has dominated the sport and it's only, you go into it now pretty much with the mindset that there's, what, four or five teams that have a legit possibility. And those four or five teams may still ultimately win the championship, but it at least gives those teams that are playing a little bit better at the end of the year, even if they did suffer a loss early on or even two losses, an opportunity to prove that coaches say it's not about just the start of the year. It's about the to totality of the season, but we've just kind of flushed that away. Like we were saying it, but there was nothing factual about it. Mm -hmm. And this now is, I think, the best thing to happen to this sport in the last 50 years. And there's no argument against that in my mind. And it's all this change has happened in a very short amount of time. Nothing gradual about it. And it's hard for people to, to grasp. But I, I think that this has the ability to be one of the best things to ever happen. And doesn't it seem like the college president's got sick and tired of commissioners and ADs not being able to come to some form of conclusion with not only what was happening with that, but the college presidents probably looked around and said, you know what, we can do something here to maybe end some of this nonsense with conference realignment because allowing the bids the way they did in the playoff in a way might make a, a team or a group of teams now think otherwise uh, of just making a move simply for access, which I think that we were getting to a point to. Yeah. So now I, I just wonder how, how, how much of an overall effect that will happen, but yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this. I think it's going to be awesome. And I, I 
can't agree more. Um, I, it, 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 to me, and, and especially with the transfer portal now and the kind of spreading of talent <laughs> around, and, and you see these these upsets uh, in the non-conference play, I mean, a bunch of them just this past weekend, uh, I think it's really going to make things exciting uh, when they get around to this. And Yeah, and, 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 and think about it this way, Chris. So let's just go, let's just take Tulsa 2016 as an example, okay? That 16 team, I still think to this day, um, you had the Ohio State thing happen, right? That's Ohio State is Ohio State. Mm-hmm. They got jobbed at Houston over a horrific call. But you tell me, who was better, Tulsa or Western Michigan, who got the Cotton Bowl bid by the way that they were playing at the end of the year? Who, yeah. was, who was playing better and who, who was a better team? In my opinion, Tulsa was clearly better than Western Michigan that year who got to go to the Cotton Bowl. So if if you do have a wacky year, and Tulsa has had a couple of losses that year, but if things shook out where Tulsa got an opportunity, say in 16, with that offense, and as well as the defense was playing by the end of the year, you mean to tell me that that wouldn't be exciting to take that offense on the road that they were able to somehow sneak in if the nightmare scenario hit for college football, right? Where you had a, a couple of teams lose or fall out, but how much fun would that have 16 team been to get an opportunity to go on the road with that offense and, and play a, a, a power five opponent in a playoff atmosphere? Yeah. Like, like I, I think about it from terms of in just our state in general, like Oklahoma state last year would have been in Oklahoma state probably would have been in three or four other times mm-hmm. outside of that. I, I just I just think it's a benefit to everyone, and it's more football. It's yeah. more. Yeah. It's more football that matters. And yeah. spare me all this. Hey, they're trying to. This takes away the impact of regular season games. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't at all. It it will highlight more games at the end of the year mm-hmm. because they're going to mean more than just your five regular handful of teams. Yeah. And even if it's only six or seven more it that's still six or seven more that are playing meaningful football games and i i i just hate how the sport has gone where they've essentially thumbed their nose up at the g5s um or p6 sorry resco um (laughs) i i i just hate it and this and it's never going to be a perfect system right Right. i'm not looking this saying that's perfect but I hope it starts in 2024 because I don't think it can get here fast enough to save this sport. Yeah, I agree. Well, awesome stuff, brother. I, I really appreciate it. It's uh, great talking to you and um, we will uh, try to do this again soon. Yeah, man. Sounds good. Appreciate you having me. Great info there from pop. I've been fortunate to have him on to recap Tulsa's first two games and uh, hope to have him back next week to look back at Tulsa's game against Jacksonville State, which is this coming Saturday, September 17th at 6 p.m. Uh, the Gamecocks are 3-0 and after beating Stephen F. Austin, Davidson, and Murray State. I know those don't sound like world beaters, but none of their games have been close. Um, all blowouts. 
the most that uh, the Gamecocks have given up is 17 points. Uh, I think they're, they gave up three in their last game against Murray State. Uh, so JSU is not going to be a pushover. Uh, they'll be moving out of FCS and into Conference USA next season. Uh, its new head coach is, is one you'll probably remember, a 30-year coaching veteran, Rich Rodriguez. Rich Rod, who uh, most will remember as Arizona's head coach from 2012 to 2017. He also had head coaching stints at West Virginia and Michigan before that. Uh, the Gamecocks uh, have three running backs that share carries, uh, but the, the leader of the pack there appears to be Anwar Lewis, who rushed for 184 yards and three scores last week. Uh, JSU quarterback Zion Webb has struggled a little with his accuracy, uh, completing 57% of his passes for 485 yards, two touchdowns, and four interceptions. He's averaging just uh, under 162 yards passing per game, but he is a threat with his feet as well. Uh, Webb's main two targets have been the aforementioned running back Anwar Lewis and Texas Tech transfer Sterling Galvin. Each have eight receptions. Uh, Galvin is averaging almost 21 yards per catch, but through three games, the Gamecocks have been uh, a run-heavy offense for sure. Uh, They've ran the ball 119 times compared to 72 pass attempts. Guys to keep an eye on defensively are linebacker Markal Benton, uh, defensive lineman Chris Hardy, and defensive end J-Rock Swain. Uh, Benton is the playmaker with 23 tackles in three games, uh, three tackles for loss and two sacks. Hardy and Swain each have three uh, TFLs as well and have combined for three and a half sacks. If TU eliminates the critical mistakes uh, that have plagued them in the first two games, I, I think, at least on paper, this is a game they could, you know, hopefully dominate early and run away with, but that's why they play the games. So we'll see how this one plays out on Saturday. Lastly on Jacksonville State, here is Coach Montgomery uh, talking about Coach Rich Rodriguez and uh, the Jackson State program. I know he's one heck of a coach. I mean, everywhere that he's been, he's done a fantastic job. Uh, always admired comes some of the things that, that he's been able to do offensively, you know, when he was, when he had Pat over there at, at West Virginia and, and some of the things that they were able to do, you know, goes to Michigan, does a nice job there, goes to Arizona, does a nice job there. Um, you know, he's a guy that is very innovative in what they want to do offensively. Obviously, he's got a heavy hand in that. I know Rod Smith is with him, who has been with him for a lot of years, and I think may have been his first quarterback back in the day at, at one of the earlier stops that he had. But uh, I know those guys have been together a long time. They understand. They talk the same language. Uh, they do so many unique things offensively. I mean, it's really triple option, but it's done in such a different way. They give you a lot of eye candy, a lot of things to look at. you got to play really disciplined defense, so it'll be a great test for us, and they're doing it with some extremely good people. I mean, Zion is, is playing really well right now. Uh, they got a couple of backs that they can do multiple things with, and they're talented at the receiver spot, and you look at them up front, they come off the football and they get in your face. So we've got to do a good job of, of playing sound defensively, getting them in awkward types positions. You can't let them get – big chunks on first down, you've got to get them behind the chains and make them do something that they're not quite as comfortable, not quite in rhythm. you got to get them off a of pace somehow. 
This is also a program that is in that transition phase of, of going to Division One. I. I think they're looking at going into Conference USA. You know, they're already up their scholarships. They got a, a ton of money right now that's pointing into their program, and so uh, they've got a quite a few transfers from a, a lot of uh, Power Five type schools, if you will, Power Six type schools. Uh, they're very talented uh, football team. Whether you look at them offensively on special teams or defensively, I mean. Uh, you look at them from a defensive standpoint, they're kind of playing out of an oaky front, but, you know, a lot of pressure, a lot of blitz, a lot of stunts, uh, guys running around everywhere, uh, and they're playing with a lot of passion and speed to it. And so uh, we've got our hands full this weekend for sure with a mighty test. So that does it for this episode. Uh, thanks again to uh, Jeremy Poplin for joining me. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Twitter at Golden Hurricane is our main Twitter handle. And I am at Chris Harmon ITS. If you're not already part of the Inside Tulsa Sports community, head over to Tulsa.rivals.com and register for a free account. And I'd encourage you to uh, subscribe to our premium content or at least take the seven day free trial so you can check out everything there. And, and uh, that way you won't miss out on the incredible amount of info that we have in Inside Tulsa Sports, especially in our Hurricane Alley Forum. That'll do it, and I will catch you in the next episode of the Inside Tulsa Sports Podcast.